0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. And
1: welcome into the Score North Twin Show as always uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It is Zoliget and Jake Depew talking all things twins. And um, Jake, do you want to start with the series Sweep against... Uh... Cleveland over the weekend in which the Twins hit 11 home runs against a pretty damn good pitching staff, or the the 3-1 loss last night in which the Twins left 15 runners on base. I will say this, though, for that game. Number one, it was fun to watch. Number two, no fans on the south side of Chicago. And I don't know if you picked this up on TV as well, but there was definitely sort of like a playoff intensity there that I was very pleasantly surprised by considering, to go back to my point, there were no fans.
2: Absolutely, yeah. No, I, those two teams are into it, and Chicago wants that title. It's, you know, it's really just a pride thing, honestly. I mean, both teams are going to make the playoffs, and, and seeding is is totally irrelevant. Um, so I think it's really just a pride thing, and, and they both seemed into it. It's too bad fans weren't there, though, because White Sox fans, man, they're underrated in terms of the impact that they have on um, home games. Do you remember the, the 2008 <laughs> Game 163, uh, where the White Sox beat the Twins one nothing on that Tommy home run, and mm-hmm. they had a blackout at that stadium, and those fans were really into it, and and it had an impact. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind, and and those fans are a little bit like Yankees fans, like they really get on the, the visiting teams, and and so it would have been cool to 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 see it with fans, but um, yeah, that game last night had a lot of intensity to it, a well-played, well played well well played game for the most part. I mean, obviously that all of the Men left on base was was not great, uh, but I enjoyed watching it. But let's start with the Cleveland series. I think that pretty much you know put the Twins in the playoffs. There's now really no doubt about it. Um, and they played exceptionally well. I mean, that series, and they looked like a, just a well-rounded team. They pitched very well. They the offense looked like it's you know finally coming around and and is close to its 2019 form. Uh, the defense overall was very good. I mean, they they just looked like a team to be reckoned with and um, I was very impressed Now I think that was the most impressive series of the year for me, just because of how well rounded they were. Um, the Chicago loss last night, honestly, it doesn't bother me at all. Because if you mm-hmm. bring Nelson Cruz to the plate with 11 men on base throughout the course of the game, he is going to come through more than that. And that was, that was just an outlier. Uh, and so, you know, the offense looked good, like they didn't get big hits, but, but other than that, they, it, it looked fine. They're putting tons of guys on base the pitching was good again. Barrios was, was solid. Um, and these games are intense. Both teams want to win the division, but they're, you know, it doesn't really matter. It just doesn't matter it, because the seating is so irrelevant. I mean, both teams are going to have home field advantage, I think, uh, yes. barring a huge meltdown. So, yeah, um, yeah good. overall a good stretch for the Twins.
1: Yeah, so you you want a top four for, for sure um, because the weird thing is that even with no fans at Target Field, this team has been so superior at home to on the road. So you definitely want a top four seed, but I'm with you. The thing that I liked about the game last night, though, was that it sort of did turn that corner too. And this is also, in my mind, Jake, a long-term play. This Twins-White Sox rivalry, I think, could be absolutely fantastic for years to come. I'm talking like four or five years. When you look at the guys that the White Sox have, and they're not perfect yet, but I mean, they can really hit. I think the back and forth between these two teams could be great, great fun for a long time.
2: I totally agree. I think it's going to be like the early 2000s with Hunter you know Tory Hunter running into I think it was Jamie Burke at the plate and um just a lot of animosity between the teams yeah I, I i both teams are are young i mean the twins are maybe a little bit older uh but you know both are just primed to compete for a number of years and i think it's going to be i think both sites both uh chicago and minnesota are going to become free agent destinations just because guys want to win chicago's obviously a little bit more of a destination city than minneapolis but um but free agents like Rich Hill uh, you know, and Josh Donaldson are going to sign with both of these teams and just make them better. And I really would expect, if we have baseball, if there's not a, you know, a, a lockout or a strike, I think for the next four or five years, we're going to see these two teams compete, not just in the regular season, but hopefully a couple of playoff matchups to really ratchet up the intensity.
1: So what concerns you, you most now? Um, the, the Twins were without three guys last night. Marwin was sick which is fine. It's not COVID and my God, the guy plays every single day. Uh, Sano has a neck. I'm going to red flag that a little bit one. That one concerns me. Um, Necks by their nature concern me. Big guys with necks really concern me. And I don't know if it's just a twisted, like he slept wrong, but I want to say that he, I think this goes back about a week or so as well. And I think he tried to play through it. So, I'm not going to completely dismiss that as being non-concerning. And then, of course, not playing left field last night was our guy, Eddie Rosario, who inexplicably, on a play that Byron Buxton is going to make 100 out of 100 times on Sunday, decided to reach out for the ball at the last second. By the way, as Buxton is calling it, he then... He then thrusts his left hand, right, his glove hand, his left hand, I believe. He thrusts that hand into Buxton's shoulder, or I'm sorry, into Buxton's chest. And fortunately, he didn't hurt Buxton, but Rosario did some type of damage to his hand. Long story short, I don't get that one. Um, But I guess starting with the Sano one, you know, I've said plenty of things about Miguel, and I'm probably not his biggest fan, but I certainly see his uh, value to this team, that one I think is worth keeping an eye on. And Rosario, Jake, as I told you last week, I think I'm just at the point of throwing up my hands and saying he's going to do what he's going to do. Hopefully he does not get hurt.
2: Yeah, let's start. I want to start with Rosario just because I spend more time thinking about Eddie Rosario than any other Twins player and just trying to figure the guy out.
1: And- it's a valid thing to do, by the way. <laughs> like, like you're not – it's not crazy. I mean, like, I just – I'm trying to get in his head and, like,
2: see – try to think, like, how he's thinking, you know? Like, what – so, like, when he runs through that stop sign, like, what is his perspective on it? Or when he just doesn't pick up that ball, it, you know, in left field and it's it – lets, he lets a runner score and another guy get to third. Like, what what's his viewpoint on this? Sure. And I just can't do it. With most players, I can, but I just – I don't understand what he's thinking um, and with that Buxton play, I mean, that's clearly Buxton's ball. It's always the center fielder's ball if the center fielder can get to it. Mm-hmm. The, the replay clearly showed Buxton calling for it. and It was almost like Eddie knew. Eddie knew Buxton was going to catch it, and he just felt the need for some reason to like stick his hand out there, and it yes. ended up costing him. And he's lucky that he didn't break his wrist or have you know a really serious injury. Um, but I don't know if it's just me. If it's just the 60-game season, everything is magnified. But it seems like the Eddie Rosario experience is up to like a, like a 9 or a 10 now, whereas the last couple of years it's been like a 7 or an 8. He seems like he's making more of these plays. Um, and, it, you know, it, it cost him. And, and he could have gotten seriously hurt. And he could have hurt Buxton, which would be yeah. – And what are you doing? And to your point, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it – Like there's no reason for it. No, it's one thing if it, if it's a really loud stadium and you're on the road and you can't sure. hear each other. That's sure. different. There's there's no crowd noise, right? I mean, the piped-in crowd noise is not right. gonna be loud enough for them to not be able to hear each other. And you have to know your center fielder is the fastest guy in the league is going to get to that ball. So I don't know, man. I You know, I fully expect Rosario to hit a massive home run in the playoffs and also just make some sort of huge mistake that costs them a
1: game. These guys have to be tired of this, right? And by the- yes. These guys, I mean, Falvey, Levine, Baldelli—like, there's no way that they, w- with how they are wired to observe baseball, there's no way that I'm missing something here, and they're enjoying this, right? No, I, I think,
2: I think they're all pretty frustrated with it, and okay. and I've, I've talked to a couple of people, um, sort of on background, uh, just in some of these games I've covered that have basically hinted at that. Uh, so, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. In fact, I think it's likely that he's not on the team next year with Kirloff and Rooker and Larnick uh, coming up and you've got Lamont Wade and possibly Jake Cave. I mean, I just think they're going to try to trade him and, and get maybe a bullpen arm for him. He's only got one year left of arbitration, but they're not going to pay him 10 million next year. He's just too, too much of a wild card. Um, as far Sano. as, as far as to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's concerning. Um, and my concern, I don't think it's a serious injury. My concern is that he has to take enough time off and it affects him enough where he loses his timing Mm -hmm. going into October because he's a guy that needs a lot of reps. That's very clear. And he needs to be in a rhythm, uh, especially against good pitching. And he's going to face a lot of good pitching in the playoffs. Um, So if this is a lingering thing, yeah, it's a, it's a concern, but I think that's just the reality of COVID ball, you know, of baseball in 2020 that you're going to get tons of these little injuries because it's not a normal year and guys' bodies aren't in the condition that they normally would be in. On that note, yeah, are you worried about Tyler Duffy? Because Duffy looked great last night in terms of his stuff, that breaking ball, the movement on the breaking ball was ridiculous. But I've noticed his last couple of outings, it, it seems like his first few fastballs, especially last night, were like 95. And you think, okay, he's got his velo back. And then by the end of the inning, it's back down to 92 or 93. And I'm I'm just a little bit worried that he's getting fatigued, which is completely understandable due to the short ramp-up. But it does seem like his velo is down. And, you know, the difference between 92 and 95 is pretty significant in this league. And he can get guys out on that breaking ball, but he's only a truly elite, you know, top-of-the-line reliever if he's he's got the 95-mile-an-hour fastball.
1: I think that something is not exactly right here and it's not a mess. It's not a cause for huge concern, but I, I think we are now, now seeing why, and we talked about this at the time he went, was it three or four games? He, he went an extended period about two weeks ago or, or two plus weeks ago, Jake, without pitching. And we talked about it at the time. You were sounding the alarms. Right, right. But I think starting with that, something was off, like something as far as fatigue goes, I don't know what, um, but I don't think that that was some sort of accident that he didn't pitch for that extended period of time, which seemed to be seemed to be at least a day, if not two, too long. So, going back to your question, yes, I've got some concern there. But let me share with you a bigger Tyler Duffy concern, playoff related, of something that I saw last night that bothered me a lot because I don't think it's productive. Tyler Duffy. Last night, struck out the first two guys. He, he then gives up a double to Abreu, which, by the way, of course, Jake Dive Cave had to try and die for, which was absolutely dumb as could be. Um, he should have been on first. He was on, on second. But throughout the course of, of this, Duffy, I believe it might have been within the first two batters, also missed a pitch. And believe it or not, it wasn't an Angel Hernandez screw-up. Duffy actually... I think he buried a pitch in the dirt that he didn't intend to and he got really mad and almost flustered and you could see him screaming at himself and and it seemed like look he issued a double he walked Jimenez and then he got Encarnacion to to ground out to short to end the seventh and ultimately it was absolutely fine but the way that Duffy approached it from a mental standpoint of melting down and getting mad at himself. So, so like, this wasn't a fire of, of I'm mad at player X and I'm going to take this out on, on the White Sox. This was a, I'm mad at myself. I don't think that when you're in the playoffs, that type of anger at yourself for as key a role as this guy is going to be asked to play, because, I mean, he is a major part of this equation, Jake. I don't think it's productive. So above and beyond the fact that his arm might be tired or that there does seem to be a little bit something off here, I'm really worried about his mental state and where he's coming from because, like last night, there was some fun pressure there. But you're right. Mackie said the exact same thing. There was some fun pressure there, but everyone's making the playoffs, okay? Like everyone's going to get their award. Um, Duffy got that upset at himself in that game what happens when you're playing the Yankees or something again? So I guess I would really like to see him just calm down and, and not, um, I'm not saying he shouldn't have fire. I like fire, but when that fire is channeled at yourself to the point of you look like you are so frustrated, he, he's a drama King to a certain standpoint. And I don't think that part of it is as necessary as what he goes through.
2: So, Duffy's been like that for a long time. I think he's actually really toned it down. I think early in his career, he would he would get really upset at himself. Yeah, um, he did. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, like, it, maybe he gets a little too hyped up in big moments. He didn't pitch well in the playoffs last year uh, after pitching exceptionally well in the regular season. Um, I don't know. I I don't I don't have the cons- so here's here's the thing. We get frustrated with the Twins for not showing enough fire, right? For their Zen-like approach, even when things are going wrong. Yes. And I, I think that's a fair criticism. But I think if we're going to rip them for that, you can't then also go back and rip them for getting too fired up, right? Like Romo, it's like we talk, we've talked so much about how we love Romo because he brings this fire and we love Donaldson and, and he brings this fire. But then, you know, if, if they show too much of it, then we come back on the other side and say, well, they need to calm down. And so I don't know that that's totally fair. Like I get what you're saying, I really yes. do. Um, but I think overall, this is a twins team that is just so chill, and maybe yes. to a fault uh, because that's just how Rocco sets the tone, and that's how Nelson Cruz is. That I want a couple of guys like that. You know, I. I
1: but do you I don't want to match themselves the- though? Like I, I, I just don't want a pitcher in a key spot taking out that much frustration on himself because i'm with you like if if you're gonna get mad about at your teammates or you're gonna get mad at the opponent the Romo thing's a little bit weird because he's picking or he's going back and forth with Lindor, who's clearly more popular in the twins clubhouse than sergio is yes Uh, so that's a little bit of an odd dynamic there but i'm just saying for for duffy's sake i've never seen it be really productive when he gets mad because You're right, at the start of his career, he would absolutely get frazzled and melt down, and I think he cost himself. So I I just think that there's something to be said in his shoes, like last night, for staying in control. And look, if he was mad at Jake Cave, he should have been. That was an absolutely stupid play. I mean, that's the type of play. He may have been mad at Jake Cave. Well, and you know what? Then that's fair because I will say this, and it's not that I expect uh, Cave to be starting in the playoffs because I certainly don't, but I will say this one: this first round is not going to give you margin for error. No. So, like, you can't watch this and be like, ah, oh, yeah, but no, it's it's two games basically. I mean It's three games, but it could be two games. Um, and that's your point, Rosario. Like, you can't afford to have him go full Eddie experience in that first round because that could cost you. That could cost you your season.
2: Oh, without
1: question. Yeah, and
2: and I think. All your points are valid, and, and I, I do understand what you're saying about Duffy. I generally like it when players get frustrated at themselves, even if it's counterproductive, because it tells me that they really care. Like, if you, okay. do you remember Scott Baker, so Scott Baker, oh, do I remember Scott Baker? <laughs> he was the most even-keeled guy I've ever watched. He would get absolutely lit up, right, and get pulled from the game. And they'd show him in the dugout afterwards just, like, eating a cliff Bar, you know, having a, a nice conversation, laughing with, with Rick Anderson. And it was like, dude, do you it's like do you even take this that seriously? Like, right. And I'm sure that he did. It's just personality differences. But I like – I agree with you. It's It can be counterproductive for sure. But I just – I like that he cares. And it's clear Duffy does care. And it's clear that he thinks a lot about the game and thinks about, you know, his game because he's gone from – a quad a guy who was up and down to an elite reliever. And Mm -hmm. I think you have to give him a ton of credit for that. Um, So I'm with you. It's a concern, but I also, I like to see that. And I like to see that more. I want to see that more out of the twins. Like I want them to have an F you attitude. And I, and what you're saying is that he has more of an F me attitude. Yes. Right. And I I don't want to see him
1: implode at himself costing himself.
2: Right, right. And I do get that. I do get that. But I just, in general, I like the intensity, and I like how much this team seems like they, they want to win and they care. You
1: you bring up a really, really interesting point that I don't think the Twins would ever um, truthfully answer to us, but my question would be this. So, like, like when you have guys like Romo, who is just wound tight, and he's going to be himself. Like, he can't help but be himself. Um I guess my question if you could get the answer from Baldelli would be where do you sort of draw that line because on Friday night when when Lindor and Romo got into it after Lindor flew out to left field to end the eighth um, post game Baldelli was sort of as I guess the word is mad as I've seen him like he was admonishing Romo as much as he will admonish a player to the public and I guess my question to all the things that you're saying, Jake, are where do you sort of, if you're a Baldelli, draw that line of we are chill, the guy that leads this team without question is, is Cruz, Cruz is incredibly chill, um, Cruz pretty, you could tell, pretty clearly ter- told Sergio, cool it, stop this crap, Um Donaldson... I think he was hurt so much that he really has not yet played a part of the equation of the dynamic of the personality of this team. So that's the one thing I can't tell right now is, is the twins have definitely gotten guys in the last year plus who are wired tighter than the majority of their players and certainly Baldelli. How much of that do they actually like and want and where do they see sort of a line as far as it being too much? And I don't know but that line definitely does exist.
2: It does. It's a really good question. I think I think we saw the line being crossed with Romo. Romo was in the wrong there, man. I mean, I tweeted that out. Like, if you're pissing off Francisco Lindor, one of the nicest, clearly one of the nicest, most gregarious guys in the league, just loves everybody. If you're getting Frankie Lindor to the point that he wants to come to blows, then, like, You've gone too far, man. Like, you've clearly gone too far. And the chirping was was ridiculous. Like, Lindor smiled at him like, oh, I just missed it. And like, like, come on. Like, that's just playful back and forth. And like, Romo escalated that to the point that he would have fought Lindor if Miguel Sano wasn't there. And by the way, for as much as we rip on Sano, can we give him credit there? Because he was the single factor in that not escalating into a brawl. Like he took Romo and just pushed him back into the dugout and was, and was pushing back Lindor. Like so almost single-handedly stopped that brawl and stopped a bunch of guys getting suspended. You got to give him a lot of respect for that. You know? I mean, I think we, we talk about Miguel's personality a lot and he's gotten into trouble and whatever. and, And those things are valid. Um, but he was great. I mean, he was a peacemaker in that and, and good for him. Um, as far as Rocco, yeah, I mean, I think I think we clearly saw what pissed him off, and you know, Rocco at one point said, "I talked to Sergio about the suspension, and it seems like he still doesn't get it." That it was he did. Like, yep, I saw that. What was somewhere like when I read yep. that, I was like, okay, there's st- he's still pissed at him.
1: Um, oh yeah, yeah. Well, he I think Sergio not only didn't get it, I think he was mad that Lindur didn't get suspended too which is ridiculous because I I think what – so on the surface, Jake, I think baseball said, let's see, in a year of COVID where we do not want bench-clearing brawls, and rightfully so, I don't blame baseball for that at all, he almost started one against Casey. He got into it with Cleveland in Cleveland. I want to say something happened in Milwaukee. It's hazy now in my old mind. But I want to say that that he celebrated in Milwaukee, and it might have ticked off the Brewers. And then he started or came close to uh, coming to blows with Lindor at target field. Um, That was, that was my assumption. I was talking to somebody on Saturday who brought up a very good point though and said, doesn't it seem like the twins called baseball on Saturday morning and said, if you give them a game, we're not going to mind. Because like no, everybody Everybody with the Twins bailed on Romo big time there. Mm-hmm. And, and Saturday night, when Lindor got to first base, I, I think he singled. Uh, Sano jokingly stuck his glove on, on Lindor's helmet. He got to second base. Marwin Gonzalez was patting him on the back. I mean, there was a clear, clear message from everybody with that team, the Twins, sent to Romo. Francisco Lindor is more well liked in our clubhouse than you are, um, and so. But it just seemed odd, like the twins were the twins weren't like, well, man, our guy got s- suspended and their guy didn't. They were sort of like, oh yeah, okay, and he'll accept it, because yeah, uh, Falvey did a zoom on Saturday and the suspension had just come out, and Falvey's statement right away was, it, yep, he'll serve it tonight. Yep. So it was almost like the twins told baseball, if you give him a game. For this crap, we're not going to be upset about it.
2: I also think part of that was strategic because he had pitched the night before, and yep. they knew if he was suspended, he you know he wasn't going to be available anyways that night. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I totally agree with you. Lindor is loved in that clubhouse, like he's loved around the league. Um, here's here's the thing with a guy like Romo. I, I do love Romo. I th- I'm glad he's on the team. He brings a level of intensity that's good. The prob- the issue with guys like that, kind of the class clown, always talking. If things are going well and and that player is playing well, it's fine and it's good. But when you're on a losing streak or, or, or that player is giving up, you know, giving up leads like he did in Cleveland that last series, suddenly it's not funny anymore. It's just really obnoxious and annoying. Um, and there's a fine line there. And I think we saw that. We see that with, um, I mean, Astudillo is sort of a class clown, but I don't, uh, it, it, it's kind of a a different dynamic with him, but like Orlando Hudson, I keep going back to Orlando Hudson because Morneau mentioned him on the podcast or on the, I'm sorry, on the broadcast um, when he was talking about Romo. He said Romo talks more. I believe he said Romo talks more than anybody except Orlando Hudson. Um, <laughs> it, you know, nobody liked Orlando Hudson in that clubhouse, from from what I understand. I wasn't covering the team then, but he just talked nonstop, and uh, and I think that act gets really old you know um and these guys are all already stressed i think i don't think this is a super fun season for them overall especially when they're on the road and if you have a guy like that that's just constantly yelling and and get you know getting the team into these scuffles or whatever um you know that can that can wear on you and it can upset you and at some point you have to say sergio you are who you are and we love you but you got to tone it down a little bit man
1: yeah and i I think the dynamic too is what the twins lacked. So back in in the days when the team got bad and we kept talking about, well, Maurer does not lead and and who leads. Um, So I think we thought, well, it'd be nice to to have an intense competitor who would lead and would yell and scream at, at times. But Nelson Cruz without question is the captain of this team. And that's not his style, but he does a great job. And so so I think it gets confusing in our minds because we're still like, well, it's nice to, to have intensity and don't, don't get me wrong. That is nice. Um, but Nelson Cruz is going to lead the way that he leads and it's very effective, but it's more of a quiet, uh, gives you the stern look and you're scared. And, and Donaldson, I think from an intensity standpoint, also a guy like that who, who's been an MVP and had a ton of uh, success, he completely just gets it. So I think at times when it's time to be intense and when it's time to be a competitor, uh, especially when the playoffs hit, Donaldson will show that to us. But to go back to I think what you're saying is Romo and Astodia and those guys are sort of the 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 comedians that come in and warm the crowd up. And it's fun and it's funny, but I don't know that on this team with how this team is wired and who leads this team that it's as effective as some people think, so i I just I caution against us being too caught up in being well, if the guy gets mad and turns over the spread table if that still existed in clubhouses, that's going to make a difference. Well, Nelson Cruz is never going to do that, but Nelson Cruz is a really good captain yeah so um let's talk about let 's talk about the elephant in the pitching room, okay, mm-hmm. and I don't think we've really had this conversation much yet, and I think we've yeah, sort but- of. We've sort of been on the periphery here. Like, we've beaten around the bush, and we've always been like, ah, oh, yeah, but, I mean, weak contact, blah, blah, blah. Uh, give me your current concern, because mine is skyrocketing. Give me your current concern about Taylor Rogers. I mean, I'm
2: concerned. Uh, how could you not be? He hasn't pitched well. He has an ERA near five. He's blown a number of saves. Uh, he, it, what's Here's what's weird about Taylor Rogers. When you look at his numbers, his strikeout rate is only a little bit down from last year. His walk rate is essentially the same, uh, but he's just giving up a ton of hits. Like, his whip this year, I'm looking at it right now, is 1.56. Last year, it was exactly one. The year before that, it was 0.9. And really, the only difference is uh, that he's giving up more hits. And so that tells me that the league has maybe figured him out a little bit. Because, like, his velo is the same. Um, maybe that breaking ball doesn't look quite as good. Uh, maybe he's, he's not getting it to his spots. He's missing his spots more and that could play into it, but you know, he's basically a two pitch pitcher, right? He has, he has the sweeping breaking ball and then the 95 mile an hour fastball. And I just wonder if after two really dominant years, the league, especially the these central teams that see him all the time have just kind of figured him out. You know, and you know, maybe you just lay off that breaking ball if he can't throw it for strikes. Or if he misses location, then you can pounce on, on a high breaking ball. Um, but mostly, mostly you lay off and you attack the fastball. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that's just a guess. But it, it does seem like there's something wrong. And it's not – I don't think it's mechanics. I don't think it's velo. He's still striking guys out. It's, so, so that tells me that the league has adjusted to him and he needs to make an adjustment back. And I, I don't know that there's a lot he can do because he's just a two pitch pitcher. Like what, you know, maybe he can like, try, you know, move to the opposite end of the rubber, or, you know, do little things like that. I don't know. But right now, yep. you can't trust him. I mean, he, he just hasn't been good. Um, he, You know, and he, he's the team, he's the player rep. He's a leader in that clubhouse, a quiet leader, but a cerebral guy. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, he's given up a lot of home runs uh, and he just, you can't trust him late right now. And and I don't know. It's not in Rocco's nature to say you're not our foes anymore, or we're not going to use you in these big spots. I want to talk
1: about that. Yes.
2: Yeah. Like he wants to always, you know, instill confidence and
1: consistency. Yes.
2: Running Rogers out there. And, you know, unless he has three or four dominant outings in a row and gets back to what he was the last two years, it's going to be problematic in the playoffs because he's, he's a guy you need. I mean, you absolutely count on him. You know, you hope that Romo gives you a good inning. You hope that Clippard and May give you good innings. You're counting on Duffy and Rogers, right? They're like locks. And so if they become not locks, if they become, uh, you know, a question mark, then it's a major issue. All
1: right. That being said, which I don't disagree with um, that being said, though, do we need to have a conversation us right now? And ultimately Baldelli, Falvey, Levine, do we need to to have a conversation about possibly hurting people's feelings? Because um, I don't know if I can, I don't, Jake, I don't know if I can go into a three-game, again, going to be done in the blink of an eye. Um, and my team's good. Like, I've got a good team. This is not a fluky team. I don't know if I can go into a three-game series seeing what I've seen from Rodgers knowing that he, even if he makes the adjustment, I believe, and we're recording this, as I said earlier, on Tuesday, and I believe uh, Twins White Sox tonight will – has there's 14 games left, I believe, in the Twins season at this point. Um, I, 12 games left. Yep. 12 games, okay. I don't know that there's time to make the proper adjustments that we're talking about. Like, the clock is ticking there. Do we need to, th- do we need to rethink potentially – and I'm not saying take him off the playoff, roster nothing that drastic but do we need to rethink taylor rogers's potential role in a playoff series and the construction of the bullpen um because i would feel really stupid if i were the twins and i just sort of uh, beat my, my head against the wall and i put taylor rogers in game one and game two and it blew up um i just think i mean the one thing that we haven't seen these guys do is make decisions that are really going to damage potentially the confidence or the feelings of their favorite players. Rodgers deserves to be in that list of, of players that I think they really appreciate and respect and like. Um, But man, we have seen a large, a large enough sample size for me that at least in that first round, I think you've got to, I think you've got to be considering right now, considering not doing it for sure, but considering tweaking things for bullpen construction in the playoffs, that first round.
2: And so that's where, having all of these starters um, can make a big difference because in that first round, you're only starting three guys, right? So, so the three starters, assuming Odorizzi comes back and shows that he can at least pitch an inning, you know, at least get that high fastball up to 93, 94 and, and pitch an effective inning. You can use these starters as relievers in the first round. Um, once you get to the, if, if you are lucky enough to advance and you get to these uh, five and seven game series, then you, then it's different. But in the first round, I fully expect them, to bring in Rich Hill as a reliever, potentially Oto Rizzi, uh, maybe Randy Dobnik, and so they can maybe pick up some of the slack if a guy like Rogers is not effective. But yeah, I mean, I think so. There, are, I just looked. There are eleven. Just for clarification, there are eleven games left, and I would keep throwing Rogers out there um, in these games that really don't matter that much to see if he can figure it out. And if he continues to to give up lots of hits and runs, yep, he's on the roster, you know, and you use him in an emergency, like clearly is on the roster, but in that first round series, I really would, I I almost wouldn't define it as starters and relievers. Like you have guys that start the game and you hope give you some length, but really I would just see it as like, you have a 12 or 13 man pitching staff and they're just going to pitch when they pitch. Right. And like, maybe, you know, maybe you have a game where you have seven or eight guys each pitch an inning or no more than two. Like I don't think you can view this as a traditional game at all. Um, You just, you know, you throw Rich Hill out there in the, in the, you know, in the fourth after maybe Barrios pitches three and you bring in a Dobnik for the fifth or whatever, like it shouldn't be starter reliever. It should just be a fluid pitching staff where everybody just pitches when the matchups make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's problematic. It's a, it's an issue in the same way that any of these top 12 pitching arms that you're going to have in that first round, if any of them are struggling, it's an issue. Um, I wouldn't put him out there late in the game with the lead on the line right now. I I just don't see how you can do it. You know, I I think he's still part of your long-term plan. um, And it's, it's a small sample size, relatively speaking, but he clearly just doesn't have it right now. So you got to go with other options.
1: Yeah. And he, he has not had enough during the course of the season that it worries me at this point now that to what I think you're saying as well, that he's going to find it now. So uh, last thing, Barrios, the second was a bit rocky last night, but these White Sox can hit the bleep in baseball, so they're a nice team. Uh, five innings, six hits, one run, which is not too bad, one walk, two strikeouts. What is your, I'll just ask you this on a on show by show basis. What is your current rotation for the playoffs? So, is a clear number one. I don't,
2: even if he was terrible his last two starts or three starts of the year, that wouldn't change. is number one and really the decision comes down to Pineda or Barrios in game two, knowing that there may not be a game three. So that's an important decision right now. I'm, I'm leaning towards Barrios uh, because I think the last three starts have all have been good. And it corresponds with this personal issue that we've talked about on the last podcast, which hopefully has been resolved. If that really was weighing on him and you know, I mean, I have kids like if you've, and this total, I have no idea if it, anything related to his kids or whatever, but I just, they said it was something family related. Like yep. if I had a kid who was really sick, like, it'd be hard to, for me to concentrate on, on my work, you know? So like, I get it. Yeah. And so if that's now been resolved and taken care of and that's what was holding him back, then that's really good news for him and for his family and for the twins. Um, so I think I'd go Burrios Game to uh, handcuff to Hill because those two are so different, Right. It's like if you start Barrios and the team constructs their lineup with a bunch of lefties, um, you know, it's just such a big change to then bring in Hill in the fourth or the fifth who's throwing up, you know, those 72-mile-an-hour breaking balls, you know, in comparison to to Barrios' 95-mile-an-hour fastball. So um, that's my current thinking. Barrios handcuffed to Hill and you leave Pineda, the veteran, who's pitched in big games uh, for a potential do-or-die game three. Where are you at right now?
1: I think I'm, I'm the same. I, I think that's incredibly fair, and I also think. And I, I was talking to uh, Mackie about this on our show on Monday. I also think that it's probably pretty smart to remove the pressure of Game Three from Brios's plate. Yes, um, if I can, and Pineda is a, he's a laid back dude. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's fair. The only question on Hill is what time of day, if you're going to handcuff Hill to Brios, what time of day do you have to start Hill warming up? to have him prepared to come in in the fourth. You think about 11 a.m. that day or so, because that's the one thing is that, I mean, this guy is – there's some ramp up here. And I. here's the weird thing with Hill, too. There are moments when he's pitching, Jake, now and starting, when I am just sort of damn tempted to be like, you know what? He could start a game. He could start a playoff game. He could. But since that Cardinals game, which was, I think, the second – Uh, game at target field that the twins played where he pitched five and pitched just fantastic and then had the shoulder fatigue and went on the IL after that since he's come back from the shoulder fatigue there's always been at least that inning where it gets really dicey and you're back to saying I can't do it not that he can't pitch out of the bullpen in the playoffs but that you just can't start him so that one I'm torn on he does he does there are times I feel incredibly confident and that, you know, that curveball and fastball confuses guys. And, I mean, he's probably as good a professional pitcher with the stuff that he has to work with as you're possibly going to get. But then there's that inning per start where you just revert back to, I think I got a handcuff him to a guy. And I, and I can't count on, like, if it starts to go south, I don't have time to say he'll get through this and be fine And if it's, say, the fourth in the fifth.
2: So I want to throw something at you quickly. Um, I tweeted this out the other day. Rich Hill, playoff opener. Because if he's an opener, you allow him to do his normal ramp-up that he would as a starter, right? Uh, He's usually pretty effective through the first two or three innings, and then he sort of starts to get fatigued, and maybe that shoulder is getting a little bit fatigued. I really like him. Maybe you handcuff him to Barrios, but you start Hill, and then you bring in Barrios for the bulk of the innings. And if he can give you two uh, really solid innings and go through the lineup once, and then you bring in Barrios, that I really like that idea because you're, you're rushing Hill if you're
1: bringing him in as a reliever. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, yes, and that's, legit, that's a legitimate concern. No question about it.
2: Yeah. You're right. So I, I wonder if that is a route that really makes sense. And if it's clear from the, from the get-go that he doesn't have it, then you pull him right away and you bring in a Matt Whistler for an inning while Barrios is getting loose, and then you bring in Barrios. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you pitch Hill for two if he's going really, really well. Maybe you extend him to a third and then you bring in your, your normal starter. Um, so I think that could work because there's no way Rich Hill is giving you five in the playoffs, I don't think, at least in that first round. I mean, I it, think, everything would have to go perfectly for that to happen. So,
1: I think if you started Rich Hill in the playoffs and counted on five by about the third, you, you'd, be, you'd be holding your breath. Because yep. that's the thing is you don't know. Like there's always – it seems that since he came back from the IL, there's always that inning where it just gets dicey. Um, so I, okay. I like that thought process. I I guess I've got two thoughts. One is it's creative and I like it. I guess my second thought is, are you getting potentially too cute by doing it? The only thing that I think would justify doing it though, is this one. If real starts he's probably going to give you a five, maybe be allowed if he's going well. And that, that's a big if in a playoff, but maybe be allowed to give you a six, right? So in some ways it seems a little bit too cute, but in some ways with the way that Rocco and Wes Johnson operate their starting pitchers, you know, if Rich Hill gave you two to what you're, I think you're saying, mm-hmm. and then Brios comes in and gives you three, four, five, six, let's say, get, get you through seven, Now you're in really damn good, good shape. And now, and now the intriguing thing about that is you can rethink the Taylor Rogers equation as well.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Because you're to the eighth. So it's cute. So, so my, my baseball, my old school, old man baseball inclination is it seems almost too cute. But then when I think about how these guys go about the craft of who's going to pitch and when and blah, blah, blah. and, And the fact that we both agree right now, we don't trust Rogers. It might just work. I mean, yeah, and like it is—it is getting a little bit cute. But you know,
2: last year they—they they didn't get cute at all. Like they just played it like by the book, and their book told them to bring in K- Cody Stashek in the fifth and Zach Lattell and all those guys, and that didn't work at all. So like, I'm fine with a little creativity here, um, and it—it it allows Rich Hill to to again still prepare as though he's a starter, and I think he needs that because
1: he's—he's he's an old man for for. You know, in baseball years, he pitches the way I live life. Getting up hurts. he, yep. sw- he swears, he sweats, and grunts. And my it. guess is he drinks beer. Oh yeah, Rich, Rich Hill. A Rich Hill outing is a day in my life. That's <laughs> what I can tell you.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and his post game interviews are great. That's
1: oh, it's fantastic because he's no. There's no BS. There isn't. No, he basically. If he just- sucks, he says I sucked.
2: Yeah, he's. I think after one start, he was like, "That was pretty pathetic," and I'm embarrassed. I love oh, yes. that. I love yes. that accountability. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I know we got to wrap up, but yeah. on Thursday we have to talk about the the really big elephant in the room, which is that the twins are on a crash course to play the Yankees in the first round.
1: Okay, just a quick tease. <laughs> are you excited, or do no. you fear it? No, because Mackey Mackie says, "Bring him on."
2: No, no, no. I, I I totally disagree with Phil on that one. I I love Phil. No. How could you be excited? They've lost 13 straight I to the think,
1: I think if you're a Twins fan and, and you care about these playoffs, I think your reality is you're crazy if the first round does not scare your socks off.
2: Yeah, and here's the thing, and we'll talk about this more on Thursday. Stanton and Judge are about to
1: come back. I know, and the, and the Yankees are getting hot, and Garrett Colt's last start, he was lights out, baby.
2: Exactly, and, and I know they're not going to be a typical five seed, right? I mean, when, when Stanton and Judge are in that lineup, and Urshela, and Cole is pitching game one, that's the best team in the American League. I don't want any part of that in the first round.
1: All right, we will talk to you again, and Jake will expound on his thoughts of a possible Twins-Yankees first-round series on Thursday. Until then, Score North Twin show. He's Jake, I'm Judd. Talk
0: to you soon.